This is the Wine Me, Dine Me podcast. Forget the etiquette. No rules, just real talk. All right, well, let's get started. I'm so excited to share this time with you. So today we have Matthew Wingard of A Fine Press on the pod, and we've already been on the on the mic for about like 10 minutes, just blabbing yep. away. We're like, okay, we just need to turn it on. Time to hit record. <laughs> so um, Matthew is somebody who we, I met a couple years ago online through a uh, event forum, if you will. Yep. And we connected and he is somebody who I just, uh, his philosophies, his design brain, his mindset mentality. I just feel so, so aligned with and energized every time we connect. And we had the opportunity to meet um, in December in Dallas for the first time in the flesh. So what a um, whirlwind. My goodness. I was there 24 hours. Uh, yeah. You, every oh. time I thought you were about to go to bed, I would see you and you were like, yeah, still going I slept strong. two hours and then went to the airport. It was, it was delightful. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. But um, I'd love to have you introduce yourself, give us a little bit of uh, background, and and then we can dive in. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Matthew Wingard. I uh, have a little company called A Fine Press, where I make holy shit stationery for brave and daring nonconformists. Um, the thing that I say that I do for them is I help them be known and remembered by their people. And so I'm really intentional about creating little windows into my clients' lives, whether they are, um, you know, whether they're couples getting married or businesses or, or other organizations. Um, I believe in keeping things deeply personal and then deeply reflective of who the people are. And also, you know, sustainability is a really important thing, but I think we miss the idea of sustainability uh, especially in stationary and events where we talk about like, how do we use the most sustainable materials? I'm much more interested in what uh, is the sustainability of the things we create. So I make it a point to create at least one portion of every piece that I do becomes a piece that is designed to be kept and not as like a party favor, not as something that like people feel obligated to keep, but as a thing that they want to keep because it connects them to a moment in their lives. So uh, that's the thing I've been doing for a little while. And, um, you know, I was one of those people that was moonlighting doing this and uh, got kicked out of the nest, got fired from my last job and um, just almost hit the ground before I started to fly. Oh. And uh, so now here we are flapping wings and making things happen. I love that. So, I mean, your work is, I would say, obviously from your description, I, which I love, by the way, for brave and daring nonconformist, I yeah. think- Everything about your homepage on your website does exactly what anybody's goal is. You open it up and it says, holy shit, stationary. You're like, okay, this <laughs> is wild. And then yep. right under it, it says for brave and daring nonconformists. So you can already know that you're out of the box. You approach things very differently. So did you get your start in a traditional stationary setting or how did you how did you get oh, that's there? a great question i it has nothing to do my life is just a series of accidents uh which is delightful um all of my education is in music i have a what is it a bachelor of science in music ed uh floated around in some jobs for a couple of years uh that i didn't love love at all and then went back to grad school and got um a master of music in jazz bass which is okay. just so silly um oh my goodness 
And in the middle of that, uh, a couple things happened uh, at once that were kind of interesting. It was the era of um, uh, of Amish or hipster.com, or I forget, maybe it was backwards. But it was this era where like hipsters were bringing like spinning wheels into coffee shops and typewriters into the subway. You, you know, I, I, do you remember this time where like everybody was barefoot and yeah. overalls and the whole thing? And uh, what I believed was happening was that uh, millennials uh, in particular were looking for uh, adding ritual back into their lives because mm-hmm. our parents and our grandparents, in the name of convenience, the entire mid-century was about d- d- uh, dumping rituals in exchange for convenience, right? We stopped having to go wring a chicken's neck. We stopped having to hone and strop a razor, stopped having to refill a fountain pen. Everything became quick and disposable. And theoretically, it was so that we could free our lives up to have more meaningful interactions. But all we did was fill it with more BS. Right. Um we stopped experiencing life and sitting in these moments. And I, I thought that this hipster thing that was happening was a, a, a group of people trying to find a way to find meaning, to slow down, to, to meditate, essentially, uh, mm-hmm. kind of on, in a daily way. And that was happening while I got dumped into the role of um, being the designer for the research institute that I was working with uh, as a grad assistant. And uh, my very first graphic design job was in, um, what is it, Pages, the OSX, like their their little graphic design software. And it was a full page ad for a national jazz magazine. And oh. it was terrifying. I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. Uh, which is all very hilarious because my dad actually went uh, and got his undergrad in graphic design in the late 70s. And uh, doesn't really do anything with it and and never did when I was a kid. I remember seeing his portfolio, but like that was it. That was my uh, exposure to it. And what I realized was I was less interested in making music than just making things, whatever that turned out to be. And uh, so it all kind of came together in stationary because I felt like there's only two rituals that we all pretty universally experience at some point in our lives. The ritual of marriage and the ritual of death. And death didn't sound quite as fun. So I went with weddings. (laughs) I love it. God, this is making so much sense. One of the things I wanted to do as we were introducing you was read a bit of your bio because it's, it captivates me and it, and it really speaks to like how I approach design. But now that you've shared with me this whole background in music and jazz, it's like, ah, all of it makes sense. So can I, can I read a little bit? Okay. Yeah. All right. So here is um, Matthew's bio. So first of all, he identifies as a dreamer, which I can relate to. I think we all are. Um, So he says, when we collaborate on your stationery, it's a little like playing jazz. We'll improvise and rearrange. You'll start a riff and we'll run with it. However, the process, you can guarantee it'll never happen just like that again. I love that. And that's what's special about a fine press. Our bespoke inviting experiences will always be one of a kind. If you play an instrument, bring your axe to one of our consultations. We'll jam a little while and then get down to business. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Oh, how cool. I I, I rarely encounter that. You know, it sits on my website. I wrote it a couple of years ago and it, it's, it's fit, but uh, I don't think about it very often. I think what it uncovers and what I want to dive into is how you approach design, which is like, you know, let's not, you know, it, we look at this when we talk about flowers and and whatever, it's let's not focus on the thing. Let's focus yeah. on the feeling, the emotion, the why, the story, yes. um, you know, and, and so that's what I loved about when I first 
came across you and your work was like that passion is so present with I you. I love that. Yeah. So tell us like what you know, obviously you it's for you it's more than just paper. What is like how do you how do you approach your design? Yeah. Uh, I love that you said the thing about it being about not about the thing but about feeling. Yeah. Um because this is the I think this is one of the more challenging stories to tell in our industry because as a culture we are used to paying for things, right? We're buying a specific thing, a specific experience, a specific object, and obviously as, you know, I think most of us uh, as entrepreneurs at least have some bit of a marketing mind and understand that ultimately the customer is talking about a story. The client is telling themselves a story, but it's hard to bypass that. And that's the thing that I always try to do is help people see that ultimately they're not buying stationary at all. They're buying a story about who they are to their people. They're buying a chance to change their relationship with their people. And um, that requires a whole lot of conversation up front, which starts with, you know, honestly, with conversations like this, because you have to encounter that concept first to understand that it's even possible. And so one of the ways that I've talked about it, because I went from, you know, I was not, first of all, I'm not my own client, right? I, I didn't grow up in a world where um, I consumed the things that I create. And uh Along with understanding my client came a lot of mindset shifts that I kind of had to discover on my own because I couldn't afford the couple small places where those educational opportunities were happening. Um, I'm kind of in an island of myself where no one else geographically near me is, is trying to push the way I am. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of had to fight my way through the jungle to find some of these things. And so early on, I was um, also a printer for hire, right? I learned how to print with these, you know, 100-year-old printing presses. And would just take a business card job that someone brought me a file. And there came a point where I realized this is not serving me. I am not um, efficient enough at, as a printer to make a living doing this. And so I need to focus on uh, doing things that light my soul on fire, which is this kind of full service storytelling thing. And so I had to find a way to talk about the fact that I no longer work for a designer. I no longer work uh, to create someone else's vision. And um, I'm a big fan of aphorisms and phrases that people can latch onto. And one of them is, I don't, uh, my clients don't know what their stationery should look like. They know what the world should look like with their stationery in it. Ooh. And I think yeah. that to me gets to the heart of it. Mm. Um, my aligned clients, the people that I want to work with, they know what they want the other side of their life to look like, right? They know what the other side of the thing to look like. We were, you were talking about a decision that you had to make that it took a mental exercise um, of visualizing the world on the other side of that decision to get through that decision. And it's um, my best clients know what the other side of their event is going to look like. They know what the other side that. of their campaign is going to look like. Yeah. They recognize that they don't know the best way to get there. And that's why they came to me. Ah. So then, right? Right yeah. then we so get good. to dream together because we start from talking about their story, where they are now, where they want the world to be. I believe that, um, especially in the wedding industry, uh, but in all creative industries, we can be people whose work changes the very nature of our client's existence if we choose to invest in them the yeah. way that they've invested in us. And that requires, first of all, that requires 
you know, I'm not a big fan of this rah, rah, raise your prices world uh, that we've kind of fallen into. But what it does require is you have to charge enough to open up the space to focus on your clients. Right. Then you have to be honest about it and do the work. And so um, so this is the space that I've created. And essentially when I'm working, uh, one of the things that Sean Lowe taught me to do is to um, build one-way gates of focus through the creative process. And so mm -hmm. what that looks like is my initial proposal is as out of focus as humanly possible that distills the idea down to what are the most important things. And I know that all sounds very abstract, but it's literally like, what materials are we using? Or when they open it, what's the specific thing we want them to experience or see or feel or smell or whatever the thing is. And um, I take a handful of those, maybe one, maybe five or six that are like, these are the components. We're going to use uh, a custom cut record of some of your favorite songs and do this thing. But the the actual details of the design and the colors and the printing, like that doesn't matter yet. Right. I just want you to understand what your people are going to feel like when they open it. I want to mm -hmm. tell the story of how they're going to open it. And once I have buy-in on that, then we work on the details. And like, I'm working with a client right now where we're talking through their life story and that's what's creating all of the graphic design elements. We're going to bring in stuff from a national park that they love and bring in stuff from one of their favorite dates and uh, and pull in colors and inspiration from all of these things that come because now they understand the direction we're heading in and it prompts them to come up with better things to share, right? Yes. Because now they know what they're doing. And it's like, I find it's so much better as a conversation than as like, a, let me gather it all, go back and be done. Right. Right. It, the back and forth to me is really powerful and it brings so much buy-in. And so uh, it's kind of the way I try to work. And the way that I protect myself is those one-way gates. Mm. If I say we're going to do a custom record, that's what we're going to do. We don't change from that. And if the client decides, you know, this isn't a good fit, we go back and we start the whole creative process over again. Mm -hmm. They pay for it again because we've already done the creative process. Right, right. They want to do it again. There's some hoops they're going to have to jump through because Ultimately, those one-way valves are are also um, like instances to show trust, right? right? That we have mutual trust. Once we say, this is what we're doing, we both trust this is what we're doing. Right. If one of us goes back, then we have to re-earn the other's trust. And if the client does that, they do that essentially by reinvesting in my creative fee, plus right. whatever the penalty is for how much later we are now, because right. we had two months to do the thing and now we have one month to do the thing. But I'm sure know? that doesn't happen often, does it? Not very often at all. And yeah. usually it's because there's new information, uh -huh. right? Uh, um, I mean, a venue closes down and now the whole design is different. And under those circumstances, we work together and we find a mutually beneficial uh, decision. But the reality is um, if my whole design hinges on a particular thing and that thing is no longer there, the rest of the design, to me at least, doesn't resonate anymore. Doesn't, and we have right. to start over. Right. You know what I love so much about just the process of, of, of being abstract and, and out of focus is because we do this too. in our work is hearing the couples just talk about these moments you're talking about. And, and I know it's just more than just paper, but let's just for right. sake of it, paper. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you know, somebody might not understand how their first date or, you know, at a museum means anything and can translate into paper, but, and they might think that these conversations are a waste of their time. But meanwhile, we are downloading 
so much. And, and, and that is how we can come around and surprise them and like, look at this very meaningful, beautiful piece that we picked up on the smallest nuances of your life and, and relationship that then all of a sudden guess it might be subliminal, subliminal for them, or it might be like, wow, I cannot believe this Uh meaning. And that's where like my heartstrings just set on fire in terms of like, this is what we do, why we do what we do. Bingo. For me, it's things like, um, if I notice that you have a tile pattern in a room that you love, that you renovated in your house, and we can find a way to sneak that into your invitation, what that means is the people who have been in your home and have paid attention, they might not even know where it came from, but they're going to go, I've seen that before. Where is that? And the moment you go, oh yeah, that's in our house. Or the next time they visit you, yes. go, oh, that's it. And they feel like they're a part of like a secret society, right? They feel like they're closer to you because they know. And the people that don't know, it doesn't matter. They just right. miss it and it's fine. Um, there's a, a surrealist photographer. I think he's in like Gainesville, Florida named Jerry Yulesman. In fact, he might've passed since I, I met him. Um, he said once or said often uh, that he is always rewarding the careful observer. And that's a thing that I try to do is that the people who pay attention and come back, they notice things that they didn't see the first time, uh, that the people who don't aren't careful observers will enjoy it. But the people who are are rewarded by paying attention to the things. So I'm that. very much I'm like, I struggle myself with patterns, right? This is a thing I never know what to do with a pattern. And what I have found works so well for me is I pull a pattern from their life, from their story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very often it will be a hotel pattern or whatever from a moment in their favorite vacation or trip or, you know, whatever it is. And one of the things that I love doing the most is um, there is often a, one disinterested party in a phone call, right? When I, when we get on the call, uh, very often, if it is, um, if it's like a, a heterosexual wedding, it's going to be a groom, um, although it can be anybody, right. uh, very often I show up with one person who's just like, yeah, I'm just here. They may, they're not unhappy to be there. They're just not interested. And I have found that if I can find one moment in the, to get their eyes to light up and I can find a way to extract from that moment, one design detail and drop that in to their design, I've won them for life because, yeah. um, David Augsburger said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're nearly indistinguishable. Oh and, my God. I need that. That quote right? is amazing. Yes. And so oh. if I can make someone who is a little disinterested, feel heard, they now feel loved and they're oh. inner. I brought them into my experience. And so I try very desperately to find ways to make people feel heard by reflecting the moments that they care about back to them in ways they didn't know was possible. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me that story again of you had a client and it was something about a key. Remember the key in the venue, um, like an archway or doorway passage through, was it something like a hotel and they had this key that they had to go through and it was just like this unfolding. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, it was, yes, it was a, a couple who themed their entire wedding around it kind of being, um, uh, 
French chateau in their name, like uh, they were inviting all their guests to their own hotel. And so in the RSVP, we created like a like a vintage skeleton key that incorporated their thematic elements, which is like a really cool thing is um, we get to create all of these weird hybrids of things. And I think that's one of my favorite things to do is, is like play with forms or expectations um, and do it in a way that's super inviting. So uh, the RSVP actually had a key that they had to bring in as a part of their um, their seating experience. And, you know, the challenge with those is that we have to, you have to account for people that forget for all of the unexpected things. And so really it's more about the story that it tells than the practical part of it. But it's it's really powerful when you do that. Um, one that we did recently that I was so thrilled to do, um, I worked with uh, Jennifer Buono on an event and we had the photography team uh, get a black and white Polaroid of every guest as they arrived. And oh, instead yeah. of having place cards, we framed um, that photo in paper with a quote from the bride's mom who had passed within the last year. Oh and my so God. found a way to honor mom and um, one of the ways that the bride bonded with her mom was her wall of Polaroids. And so we were able to pull in these elements of her life, of her story, and give the guests a takeaway that was like essentially like a little cool little portrait of themselves they can pop on their bookshelf or wherever. Yeah. But it also included this one moment of storytelling about mom and about how she showed up in the world. And huh. I mean, that's what I Chills. I mean, that's chills. Right? How did you, I mean- did that was it the bride's mom did you say yeah did she i mean i'm sure how was she not emotional over that oh it became a moment it, yeah. it really became a moment and that's you know i've been blessed to be able to be a part of several couples lives while they were navigating really challenging things while planning a wedding and mm -hmm. to be able to show up and show them that they're loved by showing them that they're heard Mm. and creating these moments of connection between them and their guests and these moments to reflect on the parts of their lives of people who have passed of of loss experienced um it's been just one of the most profound things and i just I, i'll be honest i have a hard time understanding anybody who's in this industry who doesn't just want to do that with every moment they get yeah, um, yeah. who doesn't want to ex extract and imbue all the meaning they can into every bit of a wedding mm -hmm. Because you theoretically, you only get one chance to do this for some. Right, right. Well, and that's you what wanted makes... to be done right. You're a unicorn. I feel like I'm a unicorn too. And us unicorns got to stick together because right? there aren't, I mean, you would assume that, but there are a lot of people in our industry that this is just a factory. It's a plug and chug and yep. quantity over quality. But you and I, and, and, you know, the people I think who have really made a name for themselves and approach their, their craft with this passion, it's always going to be quality over quantity. And the way we yep. structure our clients and how many we take on allows us to do the deep dive and to really get in, um, intimately with these clients to evoke those kind of details. You can't do that with scale, you know? No. And that's where this conversation about raising your prices drives me nuts because uh -huh. it's not at all about, I deserve more. I mean, some of us, yeah, you should just have a basic living wage, but the reality is if you, if a person wants to hire another person to dream on their behalf, yeah, that's a luxury in this world. It, it just is. And I have had to overcome a lot of guilt and shame around pricing because 
I had a very different understanding of money in the kind of world I grew up in and had to recognize that in order for me to have the space to give my clients my best work, I have to build in more space than I think. Mm-hmm. And that has been a, a real challenge that I've had to overcome. And mm-hmm. I've realized that as I learn to build that space, I can hold so much more space for my clients and mm-hmm. just navigate the thing with them. Um, I've discovered like when I'm doing any networking event, you know, obviously at the price point that I'm asking for, most of my clients are finding me through a wedding planner um, mm-hmm. because they are used to hiring professionals to help them navigate these things. And so uh, I find that I'm just very quickly getting to like traumas and vulnerability with planners because yeah. if they don't, if they don't want to hang with that conversation, they're going to be really weirded out when I'm asking their couples about like deeply personal, intimate questions about their lives, trying to understand them. Um, and I find it's a really easy litmus test to just kind of pop in and start talking traumas and see how people respond. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. if they're not willing to just be real and vulnerable with me in a networking moment. I have a hard time seeing them being that vulnerable in front of a client. Right, exactly. Well, and there's also, you know, the the planners who are gatekeepers to their clients. And those yeah. are the type of planners that I don't think would work well with you just because no. the intimate nature of how you are. And, and what an interesting concept to convey to, it has to be the right client. Like, we're going to get real personal with the guy who's about to do your invitations. And they're yeah, like, like what in the world is this about? Yeah. I don't yeah. That. yeah. Let's, let's talk trauma. No, yeah. it's so, it's so, so true. But those are, we, gosh, we just did a podcast about our ideal clients, but that's, it goes all to alignment. Maybe this will be a good segue to your mastermind yeah. and, and um, some of your mindset work, but really being intentional with who you align with and and not having to sell people on your process. It's just like this connection that, okay, you get it. You're passionate. It, it's this unspoken alignment that you're like, okay, let's dive in. You don't have That's to it. sell them on the process. That's it. Yeah, yeah. This has been the greatest journey of my career. Um, I was like a certified people pleaser Yes, um, me too. I had really bad money mindset. There was a me lot too. that was really broken when I showed up to do this work. And I really felt like I was alone. And I just tried to find different sources that could help. And, you know, on the marketing side, uh, I-, I was looking outside of the wedding industry and people didn't understand the wedding industry. But like at that time, there was really only one place to have a conversation about luxury weddings. And I couldn't at that time afford to go there. And yeah. so I was just kind of stuck going, where are the places that I can get some of this? And one of those was Sean Lowe, who was a participant in that spot that I couldn't afford. And one day I, I contacted him and said, hey, man, what do you, what's your, you know, how can I work with you? And his one-on-one consulting was more than I could afford at that time or more than I could justify at that time. Uh, but he had this weekly call that he did and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I hopped on it. And I remember the first year I would hang up from every conversation in tears, like just, and not because anyone was mean, but because it was just, I felt like everyone was talking a different language. Mm. Like I just didn't understand what they were talking about. And his perspective is very much about um, creating a business that allows your creative work to your creativity to have the most, um, like safe, appropriate space to play in. It's about letting, uh, guarding your creativity from bad clients by creating better structure in your business. Okay. And so just the the language that we were talking um, 
I didn't understand at first. And there was so much I had to figure out um, that honestly, some of those took some other sources. I, the, the place that we met, I remember, was the first place that I heard directly the idea that for um, people of means, the least expensive option is almost always uh, a throwaway because they assume that it's the worst. Right. So usually. And I had never understood that because I grew up in a world where the least expensive viable option was the best option. That's Uh just, that's how I grew up. Right. Yeah. And, and so to, to make that mindset shift took just really, I, I find for me, I intellectualize things really easily and it takes years for it to internalize. And I just Mm -hmm. had to repeat over and over again, it can't be the cheapest option in the room. And what happened was the way I saw it was I remembered some moments where I tried to be affordable and recognized that being affordable meant compromises in the design that actually caused me to fail and fail my client. And I went, I never want to be in the position of failing my client again. And if that means I need to charge them more upfront to give me the space to not fail, well, duh, that's the only way I can go. And so I shifted that way. And then I think I'm in this place where a lot of, I I mean, in like a post COVID era, I don't know what side of TikTok you're on, but I'm very much in the like personal growth side of TikTok amongst others. And um, this idea of recognizing how much of our lives are um, assumptions that we've made without really questioning Mm. and just sitting in the questioning, why am I making these assumptions? Why am I feeling this way? And the people pleaser in me just wanted to say yes to everything. And I had to recognize that every time I said yes to something that I knew I couldn't do my best work, I was actually being a fraud. I was lying. I was stealing by doing that because I was taking money knowing that I couldn't do my best work. And I can't promise that it's going to be my best every time. I can't make the guarantee that it's my personal best, but I can make the guarantee that I will do the best that I can and that I will only take work where I have the chance to produce the very best that I can. Yes. God, that's so, this is a life lesson that actually I've been working through for the last few months is Mm -hmm. the people pleasing results and putting myself in situations that um, don't serve me and I'm not authentically myself. And then it's just like, call it boundary breaking, you know, whatever it may be. I chose to be there because I'm choosing to please someone else versus living authentically. And, and then, you know, it's fine little bits at a time, but then as it builds and accumulates, it's not you, it doesn't serve you. And then all of a sudden you have a big old breakup. (laughs) Well, here's, here's a perspective that really messed with me that I heard a couple of weeks ago. And I don't think I've ever heard it said this plainly, although I think I knew it. People pleasing is manipulative, right? Because people pleasing is me telling you what I think that you want to hear to Mm -hmm. get you to act the way that I want you to act, Mm. right? So if I say, yes, I can do that to someone when I know that I can't, like I'll try, right? And I'm not, God, how do I say this? Like if I say, sure, no problem when I know that it's a big problem. Yeah. Right. I I have a job right now where um, some things went kind of sideways in terms of the timeline. And um, we had negotiated, we had talked about having some gold foil stamping included in a part of this thing. And the client went back and came back after we had just completely changed the direction entirely. Again, the, the setting boundaries around those things. And they came back and said, so what about the, the gold foil? And I was about to just figure out how to suck it up and, and charge yeah. for it and do whatever. And then I realized our timeline is now so tight that I can't guarantee that if we add this, that it's going to work. And I just have to say that. Right. I think I can make it work. I believe I can make it work. 
I am much less sure that I can make it work than if we don't do it. And it would be just so much better for me to just let them choose, right? right. Do, you want, do you want to go somewhere else and figure this out? Or do we just want to do it without the foil? I don't have to make life harder for all of us, right. especially for me, um, just to please someone when it's going to make me hate this work and then also be um, less capable of taking care of my other clients because I'm so in the weeds on this thing. Oh, and then the the emotional anxiety ba baggage that you carry with you <laughs> on and off the clock, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's no. um uh I I've, I've found that in those situations it's when my anxiety hits, I lose sleep and then I'm just not serving any of my clients well. Also, I'm not out doing the work to uh, to drum up new business, to grow relationships and then right. um I've I've hit that ceiling two or three times and I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. I, I heard once that you gain more trust by saying no than by saying yes and failing. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's such a hard thing to internalize because if you were brought up a people pleaser, the number one thing you can do to be kind to someone to do the right thing is to say yes. Mm -hmm. But that is not true. It's it's a cultural mm -hmm. thing. I know very much there's a, it's much more a Southern cultural thing. I was uh, raised in the Great Lakes uh, by um, a Southerner and uh, a, a, an Ohioan. And so I kind of have just all of this kind of very Midwest Southern people pleasing thing. And it's just in the culture to say yes. And, you know, all the memes about, you know, the, the sweet Southern church ladies who, the you know, will say, bless your heart. And it yeah. doesn't mean what it does. Right. I don't right. want to live on pretense anymore. I just right. want to say the thing, show up as I am and let them decide. Like, right. that's the greatest thing. So for me, I now have a process that allows them to reject me before they even encounter me, in per before I encounter them. Mm. Because I would prefer not to be rejected in person, you know? Yeah. So, so I try to scare away as many people as possible as early as possible. Because the job is not to fill my funnel with people. It's my job to fill the funnel with aligned people. Amen. Yes. Amen. So I'll scare them away before they even sign my, you know, fill out my inquiry form. Um, yeah. There are some, there are some people who completely disagree with that. And I think they miss what it means to be a, a creative in this industry. Right. You know, if, if I'm, if we're talking the wedding industry, if I'm selling room nights or if I'm renting things, uh, you know, you uh, have a rental company, um, it doesn't, it doesn't affect my business much to have clients go through the process and say, this isn't for me. But if I am a creative that's at like the, the sole point of contact for my business or primary point of contact for my business, and I'm fielding all of these and having to pour my soul into these things and then being rejected, that is harmful to my business. And so right. I have to find a way to scare away anyone who's not aligned as soon as possible. And that's kind of the work that I do and I help other people do. Sean Lowe taught me that the structure of your business says more about what you value than your words ever will. And I love that. That was, that was revolutionary for me because I, so many yeah. of the ways that we structure our business, we'll say it, we believe a thing is true, but then our business looks like everybody else's and doesn't. Right. right. I used to have the same pain points of feeling like I needed to apologize for, for the way things were. I mean, you and I, we are selling intangibles that right. at the end of the day, there is a, a physical product, but yeah. for the most part, I would say 90 5% of our work is this intangible space uh -huh. 
that we're yeah. selling and it's different for every single client. So it's not a one size fits all. It's a custom Bingo. approach. And so you are very, you're talking very abstract. And one of the things that we do as far as making sure we're aligned beyond just the warm and fuzzies and the, the design aspect is, is also like the logistical finance piece of, are we yeah. aligned? And part of that for us is putting together a budget estimate and a performa and a, which is our roadmap for moving forward. And yeah. I used to feel like I needed to apologize or I internalized how much things cost, but what I was doing by doing that was the people pleasing was then inviting somebody who wasn't aligned with my work or my process in to the mix. And, um, I don't know, it just, it didn't serve us. So now to kind of, and I think this comes with time and, and, and maturity in our business, but now I'm unapologetic and this is what it's going to cost to work together. And it's buy-in. It's a two-way street. That's the thing. It's a two-way yeah. street. The client appreciates and values the information that you're providing them. They already know what they're getting. Yeah. And then you as in turn know what you're getting. And once there's buy-in on both sides, then you can hit the ground running and you know it's going to be a good experience. That's it. This process takes so much trust from both sides. And that's the thing I think a lot of our peers miss is um, it is just as important that we can trust our clients as that our clients can trust us. Yes. And what that looks like is asking them to do things that may not look the way other people do it, right? And mine is very much, I'm going to ask you intrusive questions because yeah. I need those answers to help make something that looks more like you. I always tell my clients, I want it to be so uniquely you that even if we didn't put your name or your logo or whatever the thing is on it, your people would know it was yours. Yeah. I want it to feel like it belongs in your life. Like it's the most elevated version of you you'll ever encounter, but like, it's still you. Yep. Yeah. And it takes being intrusive. That takes asking hard questions. Um, I think the thing that, that people really miss is 30 years ago, 20 years ago, a business was legitimized by looking like the big players in the industry whatever that was. Right. And you, if you think about it from like a pop culture thing, like that was what every store brand cereal did. Right. They tried to look like Lucky Charms. They tried to look like Apple Jacks, but they had some bootleg name and they had some bootleg character that looked like, you know, whatever the, the main brand's character was. Um, and the same thing happened everywhere else. We all used the Royal we to appear bigger and we all wanted to look like the big players, which meant everything looked the same. It was just how much money could you throw into advertising? How big and legitimate could you appear? And I think so many people still want to look like everybody else as a source of legitimacy. Right. They, they go to Instagram and go, okay, who are like the five big uh, competitors? I want to look like them. And when, when I do a branding project, one of my first exercises is who are your five to 10 direct competitors? Let's make sure we don't look like any of them. Right. We don't want to look like, we want to look like we belong in the world your clients live in, but we don't want to look like any of your competitors right. because you've already lost it. If you go, I look like everybody else. And I think that goes down to the way you charge, the way you ask yeah. questions. That's actually one of the hardest things is uh, when you're educating and talking about process, People just want to do it the way you do it. And like, I do believe that most creatives should charge a version of a creative fee, 
but it doesn't have to be the way that I do it. It doesn't have to be at the spot in the process where I do it. Um, it doesn't have to be the same percent. It has to be a story that talks about what you value right. and that aligns with how you show up in your business. And we just, everybody goes to 50-50 and everybody goes to pricing models that look like everybody else's. And everybody's afraid of like, what what's everybody else doing? The most successful, most interesting creatives in the world all look like their own people. Yes. Everybody copies them. Right. And, and, and honestly, some of them are not as successful in their lifetime as they are after their passing. Yes. And that's a thing that we just kind of have to suck up and deal with. What right. are we here to do? And I would rather be fulfilled as a creative than to just keep trucking. Like, let's be real. I would love to be financially more successful than I am. And that's the path I'm, I'm working through. But at the end of the day, if the question is money or, or creative freedom, I'm picking the creative side every time. Right. And I think that that's a thing where most business advice misses it. Mm -hmm. Apples to apples, I am picking something that feeds my soul every time, as right. long as I can feed my family. That's what I'm going to pick. And I'm always um, fascinated by how many people who are creatives in, in any space, but uh, you know, in, in, in the wedding space, who are listening to the advice of people who doesn't don't understand what it means to be creative. Oh gosh. That's one of the things you and I connected on was, was that um, kind of feeding this like false. Um, that's a whole nother thing. Um, well, I've, I've, uh, I've certainly angered a few uh, very well-known educators in the space for calling out their crap. They don't, yeah. they don't understand the, um, the emotionality of the work that we do. Yes. They understand the emotionality of a wedding. Let me be clear. Like, I don't want to, I'm not trying to overstate it. What they miss is the nature of our relationship to the work and what that means about the clients we bring in. Right. Right. It's well, a totally different game. And, and you know, um, I think those of us who are able to be authentic and do things differently and not need to look like other people there's the passion that feeds that, but there's also the confidence, you know, um, compet what is that phrase? Competence breeds confidence. Yes. Competence uh -huh. breeds. So if you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to emulate other people, sure. You know, I did it. My gosh, when I started my event planning business, I took my headshot in, in front of the same pink wall, downtown Charleston yep. that everybody other else does. Everybody else says. And then five years in, I was like, this is not me, but it's yep. hilarious. When I see these new planners, it's the same spot. Everybody has the same spot. Um, but oh What's the spot? No, you got to tell me what building it is. It, so it's the it Mills House Hotel in Charleston. I would love to know how many people got their headshots there. Mills House Hotel. It's a pink with palm trees. It's oh just my goodness. so cliche. Anyway. Yep. I see but, it. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. I've seen, was, I've seen plenty of those. You have. That's the thing. I mean, photographers do it. Everybody does it. Yeah. But um, I think especially today where we've lived several years in the like curated um, Instagram page and everything is perfect. And then before you know it, every, how can you decipher my work from their work, from your work? Yeah. And I think as consumers of information, we as a society are becoming, are gravitating more towards authentic content, yep. um, unscripted content, raw content, real content. It's not perfect. It's just there and live. And I think what that is doing or will do is direct more attention to people like you who are being authentic. People want real. 
in this I, very <laughs> fake world. I um I broke down crying on my TikTok last week, which like I never wanted to be one of those people, but um my 14-year-old daughter keeps ragging on me. I I got my ADHD diagnosis like a year ago and I uh, had my suspicions for a couple years, mostly through COVID, right? Like I think we all kind of when we got to stop for a minute, we all got to look inwards for a minute. Yes. And uh and one of the things that I'm realizing is how much shame I have around um, the parts of me that aren't organized, that have a hard time staying, uh, keeping my physical space clean, keeping my calendar clean, doing those things. And I am working through my studio right now, cleaning it. And I um, had bought a machine uh, that was going to make my life a little easier, but needed some work because I bought it used from a friend and bought some materials for it. And as I'm cleaning, I realized that thing has sat for two and a half years and I haven't touched it. And I've walked around it and it's been in the way and I just, I lost it. I started bawling because I realized like I had so much shame around this thing. And I was just going to ask a really practical question when I hit record and all of a sudden here I am like just snot the whole deal. And I'm going, well, this is, this is who I am. Like, yeah, you're going to get, you're going to get some of this if you work with me. So I'd much rather, uh, I asked my mom permission to tell the story because I used to tell it without her knowing it. And I'm like, Hey, just want to let you know. I tell the story often. My dad uh, was uh, a Pentecostal pastor in the kinds of churches where the local church hired the pastor. And so the process would include, like it culminated in us going to a new town for a weekend. And my dad would preach on Sunday morning. I think he was usually interviewed either like on Saturday night or after the service at some point. But there comes some point in the day where they literally send us to a back room and they just vote on us while we're in the space and come back and tell us if we're offered a job or not. And my mom would always choose to wear the most makeup she'd ever wear on that day because mm -hmm. she's like, if you can love me at this point, you'll love me however I show up. And I kind of feel like that's how I want to be in the world. Let me just be who I am and let me be the most me version in moments like this, right? Or moments yeah. on, on my social media when I'm sharing how I show up in the world because I don't want you to feel like you're getting one thing and then get another. Right. I just want you to know who I am. And if it resonates, I love that. If it doesn't, go find somebody that does. That, right. It's not It's not a judgment. It's just what it is. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think it's great. Oh, I think it's, it's great. It's been a long road to get there. Uh, me too. I mean, gosh, yeah. what I have been going through in my personal life definitely translates into how I want to steer the ship with business too. Mm -hmm. You know, I've- yeah. <laughs> On a, on a more surface level, I say my bullshit meter is like, <laughs> oh yeah, long. nothing, nothing. There's no time for it anymore. Yeah. Very I'm, nice. uh, I am no longer impressed by opportunities and that is a great place to be freed from. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to impress me by saying there's an opportunity. Let me see how it's specifically aligned to my goals and then we'll talk. Yeah. Um, but the opportunity itself, the platform, whatever, it only matters if there's alignment. If we're able right. to talk about, and that's actually uh, a friend of mine gave me the, the language of, I no longer talk about ideal clients. I only talk about aligned clients. Mm, I love that. I only need them to be aligned in like three areas everywhere else. And that's actually, I think one of the hardest parts about the work that I do is I don't have a specific aesthetic style. I have a, a, a way of thinking about it. That's unique to me. And mm. so I have to talk about how I think about it in order for you to understand what you're getting, because right. You can look at some of my favorite stationers work and like I can scroll my feed and I just know it's theirs every time because right. they have a visual language that they use consistently and use so well. And I'm always jealous of that until I realize like that's actually not important to me. 
What's important to me is, is that I, I have moments where I get, I mean, I, I had a wedding in, um, at the foundry in New York, uh, two years ago that when I went up to that wedding, they were foodies and they were so stoked on their menu. Like that was, that was almost more important than the invitation because they'd really crafted this thing. And we literally had a first looks moment for the menu. I love that. And they cried over this thing that I made for them. And I went, all right, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. That's cool. Every time. That's cool. You know, we internally have been talking about branding and kind of honing in our, the images that we put out, um, because for up until now, you know, 11 years, I've been like, I am a design chameleon, you know, it's more about finding the clients that are a good fit, you know, alignment in other ways, but design wise, I can be a chameleon. But then I started thinking that that was diluting the like presentation of who we were. And I needed to pull back a little bit and be more um, intentional with the messaging So this is kind of a weird way of going about saying like, I resonate with what you say. You can create anything, but what is so very strong about your brand is your approach. And like, this is the client, this is, it's your process that is consistent. And then the product is, can be the true representation. of. It's just a result of it. It's like the receipt for the work, right? Like that's really all it is. The the, the product. The product is just like the, yeah, we did the thing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really kind of hard to conceptualize because in the end, like without the product, without the event, there is n- no thing, but it's all that is, is proof that we did the work. Yeah. And that's, that's a, so I'm actually considering um, going to uh, doing um, a, a white background um, flat lays for all of my work. Um, and, and only photographing them in my style, because I want the brand voice to be less about the product and all of those things than it is about the storytelling. So where my photos are, are, are of people and moments and then flat lays that are, are, that look like they came out of like, what I want, kind of want it to look like is like the Polaroids of, um, all the looks that, that, uh, fashion house will do when they're, they're, um, uh, picking models for a show, right. Where they're just putting people in looks and taking a quick Polaroid and going, I think I may actually do all of my portfolio that way. Oh, I love that. I I think it's so cool because like I'm drawn to work with you because I know what the experience will be like. And, you know, when you're planning, say it's a wedding, I know you do other work, corporate work, social work, but say it's a wedding. So much of that planning experience is beautiful for the couple because it's reflective. It is forward looking, it's dreaming and you know, you're, you're creating this most beautiful day of their lives supposedly, but you don't expect to have that experience in maybe the graphic design aspect. Right. But so, uh-huh. so like, I don't know what the end result will look like, but I know that when I work with you or I get to introduce a client to you, that it's a beautiful experience. That's going to be very rewarding for them. That's the goal. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. I love that. Um, we have a few minutes left. I really want to talk about your mastermind and yeah. and just, you know, obviously sprinkled throughout our conversation today has just been a lot of mindset uh-huh. um, of 
that's just how we we sheer, steer our ships and businesses. But what is your mastermind and how did you get inspired to do that and who do you serve? Yeah. Um, so I am in the middle of my second one now. We'll probably be launching one. I'm I'm trying to learn the timing of things. One of the things that's been really challenging for me is because I serve clients all over the globe, um, I have a hard time understanding like the seasonality of my own business because year to year it changes. It just depends on what pocket of the world is interested in what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. so um, uh, the first one, I think I launched the right time of year, kind of not, at least in North America. The second one, I think, was a, a much more challenging time of, of year in terms of seasonality. Um, but it is for creative business owners of any kind. Uh, talking very specifically about is the structure of their business, are the words of their business aligned with how they want their business to be? Um, it is essentially about questioning all of the defaults, um, all the things that we're talking about. What does your bio say about you? Because a lot of us make bios that look like everybody else's bio because we see one that we like and we just kind of cop it. And, um, and don't put our personality into it. Like if you yeah. really like, uh, you know, house music, and that's really like actually a part of your personality. Why is that not influencing the way you show up in your brand, right? I actually had a one-on-one -on -one client that's a DJ who we we built a brand for him that was around um, creating a festival experience at a wedding. Like that's what he does. Like he he's for the people who go to Burning Man. Yeah, that's that's his his clientele, and we built a whole because like what good is it for him to serve somebody who's literally never been out on the playa? Right. Yeah. They, they're never going to understand the way he, he does or go or went to, you know, I don't know, EDC or some other festival. Um, they don't understand the culture that he represents. And and you, they might try to shoehorn him in because they saw a set that they thought was interesting. But he'd much rather serve people who understand the way he shows up. So I built this for creatives looking to do that. And I'm actually really interested in pulling more people outside of the industry, because I think the more people are asking questions, the more we can start to see each person's version of this alignment is different. And the more voices in the room, 10 is the most I'll do, but the more voices in the room, the and the, the wider the variety of voices, the more opportunity there is to build alignment. And one of the things that came out of this has been, uh, I'm kind of on a soft campaign to get everyone in the wedding industry to create a working with me one, pay, one sheeter. Oh. So when you as a planner are onboarding new vendors, you talk through, uh, how money flows, how decisions are made, um, your involvement in communication with the client, your, you know, the things that, that are just, they need to be this way for you to do your best work. I love and that. Then, and then you don't include the rest, right? If you don't care about, you know, I don't, I don't know if you don't care about how they, um, whether they bill you or they bill the client, that's probably a bad example, but the things that don't matter, you just don't include, but the things that you know have to be done this way work. And I think even for vendors to have that, like my non-negotiables are, I have to have FaceTime with the client. Right. Um, I have to have all decision makers on the first call and the, uh, like on, on a sales call and on the first creative call. Um, and I have to have access to be on site if I'm available like that. Those are my non-negotiables. And so having a one sheeter that just says, this is what working with me is like. Yep. Um, I don't care if I'm in your Slack thing or if I'm on, you know, I don't care how I communicate with you. I just want one point of communication. So that's what I put in there. Right. All communication happens through one channel. We'll discuss that up front. But uh, God, man, the, every time I start with a new planner, I have like 20 questions I need to ask right. or, or answer that if we both have that document, I, I always have to ask, who am I billing, right? Am I billing you? Am I billing the client? Am I billing the client's parents? 
And most wedding planners have a, one specific process they use. There, it's I, either flows through them or it flows directly with the client. And just knowing that up front changes everything. And so that's right. kind of a thing that I'm pushing on, which also means you have to figure out what matters to you and what you're willing to let go of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the people pleasing, the boundary breaking, and then all of a sudden you're in a situation that doesn't serve you. And it's stressful. That's it. It's yeah. so stressful. And that like the thing that I keep coming back to is it's actually dishonest and, mm-hmm. and kind of fraudulent to take work where uh, our portfolio is a promise of our best work. Ooh. It's the thing that we sell is the promise of our best work. And if we take a job where we know that we can't deliver to the quality of our portfolio, to the, the quality of experience that we're looking for, uh, or that it's going to harm one of our other clients to take this one, which also means taking a massive aligned client can be very dishonest if it causes harm to your other clients. That's true. Or if it, or if it's, we always use the, the phrase, does it move the dial forward yeah. or is it just cash flow? You know, sometimes yep. people are inclined to just take something for cash flow. If sometimes it's you gonna, have to, but you got to own, you have to own the compromise mm-hmm. and, and stop lying to yourself that it's actually helping that thing. Recognize that you're actually uh, breaking trust with someone and that resonates in the universe and you're going to have to overcome that. Right. It's, it's said, it's, it's like, it's, it's, that's dialing back in some right. ways and you're going to have to remove that needle again. Right. Right. And then also separating things that are maybe more of a strategic business decision right? versus it's not just all tied to a dollar or tied to, you know. So let me share the one that with you, actually, you know, this one, because we've talked about this before. Okay. One of the places where that has been, uh, uh, where I've learned a great lesson about that is I believe that the way that I see an event and a project is the thing that's most unique about what I do. Uh, when I didn't charge anything for that, uh, it always turned into a problem. And what I've discovered is when I'm approached for a, um, you know, for a styled shoot or for a, um, a wedding vendors, like promo thing for their birthday party or whatever it is. And they want to do a trade or, you know, asking for a sponsorship or whatever. What I've realized is I would typically ask for like a portion of it. Um, but now I ask for my creative fee specifically because the creative fee represents the phase of my work that is most important. And if I can get your buy-in on that, and if we can agree that that's important, then we can move forward in mutual trust. And what I do is, if that particular planner or whoever brings business within the first year, if it turns into a a working relationship, they get a portion of that refunded back all the way up to the whole thing. Because what that does is it tells the story that I I want us to both be invested in this. So I will give you production if you give me creative. And then we are, we both have skin in the game and I recognize the kind of the imbalance of this relationship. You are the one that can, it's more likely that you're going to bring me business than I, you, although it's possible. And so I want to give you a space to honor that by giving you a way to earn that money back or, or right. get that back through referrals. And I don't see many people doing this. And every time I, I present this, even if the answer is a flat, no, it's always, there's always respect involved. There's always, Oh, oh yeah. that's interesting because yeah. nobody else is thinking like that. And I, that wasn't an original thought. That was something someone else helped me get to. Um, but it tells the story that I want to tell about my work. And I think that we could all do a lot better of even in the strategic game of being intentional about, you, you talked about how a no carries, a, 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 a correct no carries more weight than a, a wrong yes, essentially. And um, I think that your reputation, it counts in that. 
So when yeah. one of the big players in wedding media or events says, hey, we want you to do this thing and you come at it from a different approach and it winds up not working out, they're still going to talk about you. Right. Your name's still going to get mentioned in rooms and, and some people aren't going to love it. And that's literally the point. If yeah. you're not pissing people off, you're not exciting anybody either. And I don't mind pissing some people off if it means some other people get really excited. There you go. And, and to what also what you're doing is you're conveying your value. You are setting your value. If you don't yep. fight for your value, set your value, no one else will. No one else. So that's it. If you don't put a dollar amount to it, the, the, uh, the other players get to determine what it's worth yep. and they will almost always result, uh, uh, tilt towards the final deliverable being the only thing worth anything. Because that's how we're raised, right? That's the way we live in the world. We buy, uh, you know, we buy a new watch, we buy groceries, whatever it is, the money is for the thing that gets us to the story. Right. What we're doing is the money is for the story that gets us to the thing. And that's yes. a very different way of thinking about it. Yes. Oh, gosh. I mean, I could even tell you about stories of people who I've spoken with who want to fire their wedding planner. They want to get rid of them, but they're too far down the line. They're too invested and they just want to get oh, to that, that finish line. cost fallacy. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. But they just want to get to the finish line and they're like, oh, we're just four months away. We're this. And I'm like, when they look back at their wedding what are they going to think about? They're going to think about what a horrible experience it was, how stressful it was. The wedding may be the most beautiful thing they've ever, ever seen, but that's not what they remember. Nope. Yeah. Nope. The whole game is storytelling and I yep. wish we'd all get better at it, which is why, by the way, I have all of my uh, mastermind students. I ask them to take either an improv class or join Toastmasters. Ooh. Learn to tell some stories. Yeah. Ah, I love it. I think this is a good little tie onto ribbon onto this conversation. I think it is. Uh, that's that's the bow on top. <laughs> is the bow on top. I feel like Matthew, you're one of these people I feel like we could just talk all day long about these like bigger pictures. Oh, we totally could. Yeah. So well, thank you so much for coming on today. And I'm excited to thank share you. this. And hopefully, I don't know, I feel like there's room for another conversation with you down the line. I love it. Thank yeah. you so much. All right. Thank you. <laughs>